continue with that theme today. A um, little bit different sermon than I normally preach. I want to preach to you today under this title, Unwrapping God. Unwrapping God. And we're getting close to Christmas. I mean, I know uh, my kids are talking more and more about it. Um, gifts are probably starting to be set aside under a tree. If you have a tree in your home, putting gifts under that tree or, or wherever, they're probably starting to see those things, and kids are getting excited. And I can remember as a kid getting excited about Christmas too. And, you know, every home probably in the United States has some type of tradition around Christmas and the way they celebrate, they spend time with family and just go through the season of celebrating. And I can remember as a kid in the Coon home growing up, Christmas was a big deal. We would travel and be sure to travel and see all of our family and then celebrate Christmas with them, the extended family, my grandparents on both sides of our family. And then we would exchange gifts with everyone and it just seemed like the whole month really was kind of special uh, because most of our family lived in Louisiana. We were living in Missouri. We would travel there and spend time with them, hit up all the grandparents, see the cousins, see everyone. And it, it was a great, great time. But, you know, as Christmas would approach, my mom, she would buy us gifts and she would take those gifts and she would hide them in various places in the house. Now, my brother and I, uh, we liked to see if we could find. <laughs> we, we didn't want to wait. And so uh, there were a few times we would find a secret stash, but then you were never certain, like, is this going to be mine? Is this going to be, whose is this? And we'd even maybe stake out a little claim, say, oh, I think that, that right there is going to be mine. And then sometimes mom would beat us to it, and she'd get the gift wrapped. And, of course, we would, we would do the little thing where you, you pick it up and shake it. You want to see what's, what's in there and try and test the weight of that package. And, you know, just excited to see what was inside that gift. Kids do that. Your kids probably do that. Our kids... Uh, they know, at least when mom and dad are in the room, they stay away from the packages. They stay away from the gifts that are there. But it's tempting, right? It's just so tempting. In a lot of ways, the Old Testament was a little bit like Christmas, maybe, in, in just the idea that the Old Testament revealed some things about God in his identity. I don't think we can fully understand God in the New Testament without understanding God in the Old Testament because the Old Testament was kind of like taking something that was hidden and slowly revealing it. And it starts with Abraham starting to unwrap some things about God. He starts to understand some things, and God calls him out away from his family. And God trusts, or Abraham trusts him. And as he trusts him, as he travels, as he goes about living a life with God, God brings revelation to Abraham's life. And through that revelation, 
he comes to know and understand God a lot better. And that's the way God is. God is meant to be experienced in relationship. There can be no revelation without having a relationship with God. It's just not possible. You must experience God. He's meant to be experienced. He's not just meant to be thought about, to be wondered about. He's meant to be experienced, and it happens in relationship with Him. So only in relationship and experience do we truly begin to understand who God is. Now, in the Old Testament, there were these names that were given They weren't necessarily names. They were more like titles, but they were given to explain characteristics of God, things about God. And through that, an identity of God was revealed, who God was and how he acts. You know, someone uh, getting to know you or getting to know me, um, they can get close, but it's only through time and experience and relationship that they really start to understand our character, how we respond to situations, what we think about things, our opinions even. Uh, they have to get close to us, and it's the same with God. But if we look at the Old Testament, going from beginning to the end, God slowly revealed some things. The people of God started to understand God in some some ways that they didn't understand him before through their experiences. One example, I'll just give you a quick example, the burning bush experience of Moses. It was this burning bush experience, most of us have heard about it, uh, that Moses, and by extension the people of Israel, came to know God as the I Am. And that word is unique, it's interesting. The I Am just simply means I'm self-existent, that I was, is, and I am to come. That's exactly what he was saying. It fulfilled revelation. It happened in Exodus 3, 13 through 14, and all of Exodus chapter 3 uh, reveals the burning bush experience. But Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel, and God is sending Moses to the children of Israel, he's getting ready to deliver them from Egypt, he says, Who am I going to say? The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moses being sent to these captive Israelites raises two objections. The first is about his own identity. When he asked in verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? But the second objection is about God and God's identity. Who shall I say has sent me? God reveals to Abraham his eternal name when he responds, I am who I am. And this is the Old Testament personal name of God. That's how scholars see it. It's often transliterated into one of two words, Jehovah or Yahweh. Now understand, just take a little side note here, Jehovah and Yahweh, they're just our best guesses. They're not 100% set in stone because the people respected the name so much that they removed all of the vowels and reduced it down to four letters in the Hebrew language. And that's Y-H-W-H whenever we turn it into English letters. So these four letters that are called the Tetragrammaton. So if you ever want to 
take somebody on an interesting ride, tetragrammaton, you just break that word out on them, and they'll be like, wow, they know a lot about Scripture. Tetragrammaton just means four letters. That's all it means. It means that there are four letters there. So this is all that we have from the original. So most translations of the Bible, when you're reading, they will use either Jehovah or Yahweh, and then some translations just simply put LORD in all caps, and they just put LORD in there because the name, in a sense, was lost because there was so much respect put on that name, they refused to say it and to write it. Uh, So this name is formed from four letters that came from a third person, singular verb for the word in English, and it means this. It just means to be. What What Moses was hearing from God, God in a very direct way was declaring himself to be the one who is, was, and is to come. You tell them the person who's sending you is always was, and always will be. That's who sent you. God is working in your present. God is working in your past, and God will be working in your future. That's what God was saying to them. And so he was revealing himself to Moses when Moses had this moment of doubt. He was saying, you just let them know I've been working and I'm working right now and I'll be working in the future. That's who you tell them that has sent me, sent you to them. You tell them the one who is, was, and always will be. God's identity throughout the Old Testament was being unwrapped. I want to give you some examples, deeper examples. One particular title that you hear sometimes is Jehovah Jireh. In Genesis 22, God asks Abraham to take his only son, the son that he loves, to worship on a mountain that God chooses. And Abraham was to sacrifice this only son in worship. Just before the act of sacrifice and killing his only son, An angel Lord stops Abraham. And then the story goes on that God provides a ram that was caught in the bushes by the horns for the sacrifice. The whole point of this story is for us to understand that true worship involves obedience and sacrifice. God was never going to allow Abraham to sacrifice his son. That was common in pagan religions of the day to give child sacrifices, but Abraham was never going to be allowed to do that. But God wanted to know just how far was his commitment going to take him. How obedient would he be? Abraham was obedient to God and was willing to sacrifice sacrifice what he loved. And ultimately, God provided the sacrifice. But in this experience, Abraham began to understand God in a new way. In verse 14, Abraham named the place where he was at. He said, I'll name it, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Notice he didn't focus on the Lord desired my son for a sacrifice. The Lord wanted from me the thing that I loved. The Lord, he could have named it many things, but instead he chose one thing. The Lord will provide. And if you're reading in some translations, it puts the words in there. Jehovah 
Rapha, Jehovah Jireh, excuse me, Jehovah Jireh. Abraham had unwrapped a new thing in understanding God. He unwrapped the Jehovah Jireh in his life. And when he came to understand the Lord as a provider, what do you think happened? It probably gave some new measure of trusting that Abraham had for God. No matter what situation I find myself in, no matter what God is asking me to do, He will provide what is needed. You only come to the knowledge of God as a provider in times of great sacrifice. And Abraham come to understand that. He came to understand that the God that I serve is a God who is a provider. And we know Jesus himself made himself our sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 12 says, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. In other words... Abraham come to understand that God is a provider, even to the point that whenever he asks you to sacrifice something, he will step in and make sure you have everything you need to make that sacrifice happen. You may feel like you're having to give up the thing that you love. You may feel like you're having to put your promise on the altar, but the provider will step in and make a way for you when it seems like there is no other way. Why? Because he is. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is the provider. My desire for everyone is that they would come to know and understand that God is a provider. But you can only unwrap that in your life when you find yourself in times of great sacrifice. Excuse me. Another example is when God delivered Israel from the Egyptians after the burning bush experience. He leads them to the wilderness and they journey for three days without finding water. Now, three days in a desert will kill the majority of people without water. Finally, on that fourth day, they found water at a place called Mara. But there was a problem. The water was bitter. Anything that drank that water would get sick. That water was not good for drinking. So Moses turned to God for help. God provides for them a tree. And in that tree, when it was cast into the water, the bitter waters were made sweet. That's what the scripture says. God's promise to his people was that if they would heed his voice, and then not, that none of the disease that they had witnessed back in Egypt would be put on them, and that God would make a way for them. The healing of the water was used as a sign that God is a healer. In Exodus 15, 26, he gives this promise. He says, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. And in that moment, 
all of the people. And Moses came to an understanding. This paper is tough. They came to an understanding that God is a healer. But you know, to get that unwrapped in their life, they had to go to a place where there was bitter water. They had to end up at a place where they were being tried and tested. It was in a desert place with bitter water that Israel unwrapped that God is their healer. You don't learn the healing power of God when you're healthy. And you don't learn the healing power of God when everything's going fine. It's when you find yourself in need of healing that you unwrap Him as your healer. It's whenever you find yourself desperate and you have no other option. There was nowhere else they could turn. They could only turn to God and say, God, if we don't have water here, we're going to die. We have this water, but it is bitter water. It's not good for drinking. God said, I'll be your healer. I'll make sure that you're healed. Isaiah said that by his stripes, we're healed. Peter wrote, by whose stripes we're healed? Jesus Offer us, offers us healing. But you only unwrap that in your life when you need healing. And I'm talking to someone today that you need healing. And it's time for you to unwrap God as your healer. And what does that mean? It means putting your trust totally, totally in him and just saying, God, I know that I've been bringing this up, but I'm going to leave this in your hand because I know that you are my healer. It was in a place not far from there called Rephidim that Israel learned that God was for them. And that's one of the most important lessons you can learn. Listen, God is for you. In your worst day, God is for you. In the day when everything is going against you, God is for you. When it seems like life has brought challenges and heaped it upon you, God is for you. And what else matters in this life? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is for you. What happened was an enemy, the Amalekites, came out to wage war against Israel. And as former slaves, these men that were there, they weren't warriors, they weren't trained, they weren't skilled in battle. As a matter of fact, they, they scrapped together what swords they could. And Moses tells Joshua to lead those men out to battle. Find every person who's capable of fighting and take them out to meet this enemy. For the enemy, it was almost a sure victory. It looked bad. It looked very bad. Moses, accompanied by Aaron and Hur, they went up to the top of a hill that was overlooking the battlefield. Moses begins to pray, and he lifts his, lifts his hands with his staff. And as he prayed with his hands lifted, the battle was being won. But as he weakened and as he tired and his arms began to fall, the battle would turn against them. Moses lifting up his hands, it was a form of surrender to God. What Moses was saying in that moment, he was saying, God, we, we, we're not warriors. We're not ready for this battle. We need you. Only you can make it happen. It was total surrender to God in that moment. And as long as his hands were stretched to the heavens, the men below waging war were winning the battle. But when his hands fell from exhaustion 
And that battle began to turn. Aaron and Hur stepped in beside him and gave him support, lifting up his hands and holding up his hands. You know what that is? It's a picture of being completely and totally dependent upon God for victory. Your victory only comes through God. It doesn't come any other way. You may have talents and skills. You may have everything that you feel like you need to meet the challenges of life. But the reality is every one of us needs God. There are times in every one of our lives that we find something in life that we're unprepared for. We're not ready for the battle that's ahead. And we need God to step in and make a way. Facing overwhelming odds, they had to trust God. Equally important is to notice that Flesh can only do so much. Moses could have kept his hands up, possibly, but at some point he's going to get tired. He needed someone else to step in and help him. You need others to help you, even in this spiritual life. You can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. You have to have others. You have to have God on your side. When the battle was won, Moses built an altar there. The altar was a place of remembrance. It happened in Exodus 17, 15. Moses built an altar and he named the altar. He called its name, the Lord is my banner. That that name there, that title is Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. The idea is that the Lord is victorious in battle. And a banner was a flag of victory that would be raised above the field. In other words... He was saying, the Lord is my victory. I'll only find victory in him. There's no flag to be raised over this field. And so instead he built an altar and he said, the Lord, the Lord is the one. He could have named it anything. He could have said, Joshua is my banner. He could have given all the glory to Joshua, but he didn't do that. He could have said, Moses led this and named it Moses is my banner, but he didn't do that. Or he could have said Israel. Israel has claimed a great victory over an enemy, but he didn't do that. The Lord is my banner. What was happening? What was happening? The people of Israel were starting to understand and unwrap another level of understanding of God, that God is the one who brings victory. The Lord is the one who makes a way. The Lord is the one who does it. Hope I didn't just break that. Just kidding, it's not breakable. The banner is only raised after the victory. And you only experience the victory that God gives when you face an enemy. So thank God for our trials. Thank God for our enemies because it's in those moments that we begin to unwrap and understand that God is the one who gives us victory. When we face overwhelming odds and an enemy we can't overcome, that's when you unwrap in your life and lift up the Lord as your banner. Isaiah 11.10 tells us that in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. This is a reference to Jesus Christ. He's going to stand as the banner to his people. For the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. Jesus Christ is our 
banner and someone is facing something in this season that you've never faced before in your life and what you need to unwrap in God is understand that your victory only comes in Him. And you have to trust Him in this season. What's interesting is the enemy that was there, the Lord said and made a promise that He would wage war against them and eliminate them and they wouldn't even be written about in history. But even though the Amalekites were beaten there in that battle, they would be faced again. Notably in the book of Judges, Scripture tells us the Amalekites and the Midianites would come and destroy all the crops that Israel would plant. So Israel's entered into their promised land and they're planting in the, in the fields, they're planting the food that they're going to harvest off of the land. And the Amalekites and the Midianites would come in and they would rob them. They would take all of the harvest and what wasn't able to be harvested, they would destroy just to plague Israel. It happened in Judges Judges 6, 3 through 4. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. This is a problem. Everything they're depending on for life is being robbed of them and taken from them. And so God calls a young man named Gideon to stand against these enemies with the promise of victory. Gideon is not a warrior. Gideon has no understanding of war. And so Gideon is concerned. What if I go out there and die? What if I go out there and I lose this battle? Have you ever been in a moment like that where you're, you're anxious about what you know you're going to face? You know that it's not going to be pleasant. And there's some fear and some anxiety there. That's what Gideon was feeling, but God speaks to him in that moment and tells him, Don't worry, Gideon, you will not die. You will not die. Judges 6 23. The Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear, you shall not die. And in response, Judges 6 24, 6 and 24, Gideon built an altar there to the Lord. He called it, The Lord is peace. To this day, it's still in Ophrah of the Abizir, Abizir, I always mess this name up. These people, anyway. It's an Ophrah. If you ever want to go find it, it's an Ophrah. Um, he named it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. You know why? Because in that moment of overwhelming anxiety, Gideon getting pulled into a conflict in his country, Year after year, the same enemy coming in. No one has been able to turn them away. No one has been able to stop them from doing what they're doing. No one has won victory. Anyone trying to stand to them would be killed. And so Gideon is nervous. He's afraid. But God speaks. And the voice of God brings peace into his life. And it was that peace coming into his life that he chose to name the altar after. The Lord is peace. Not the Lord who protects, not the Lord who hides, not the Lord who gives victory. But before he even gets to the battle, he unwraps something 
about God. He says, this, this God that I serve, I don't know what stands before me. I don't know what the battle's going to be like. But this is what I know. The Lord, he is peace. And you know, it's in those seasons where you're facing a battle that you're not prepared for. That maybe you don't have victory. But you can unwrap in your life the Prince of Peace. And he can bring calm into the anxiety and calm into the season and you have peace. And people look and say, well, how do they have such peace when they're going through what they're going through? You've unwrapped something about God. That he is the peace. Gideon unwrapped that in the Lord is found peace. And you only unwrap peace that the Lord offers when around you chaos seems to be in control. That's when you find peace. It's not when everything's going great. It's not when everything's well. It's when chaos is breaking free in your life. But it gives you an opportunity to unwrap something else in God, that he is the Prince of Peace, and Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jehovah Ra, the Lord is my shepherd. This particular understanding of God is interesting. It's found in Psalm 23 where David wrote, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or I shall not lack. It is supposed that David wrote this psalm in one of two periods in his life, either when Absalom had betrayed him and was attempting to take the kingdom, or when Saul was threatening his life and was chasing him from cave to cave, trying to kill him and hunt him down. In either instance, David is writing from a perspective of a man who is in a very low place. He's in very low places. But he recognizes that the person who is shepherded by the Lord, it may seem bleak. It may seem like the enemies are winning. They may feel surrounded. It may be a dark day. But that person is not lacking because the Lord is their shepherd. And David was writing from something that was very familiar with him, the work of being a shepherd, Being a shepherd in those days was seen as one of the lowest of all works. When a family needed a shepherd, they gave it to the youngest son. And that's why David was found tending the flocks of his father, because he was the lowest one on the totem pole. And so he was made the shepherd. The shepherd was tasked with several things, feeding his flock, guiding his flock, governing his flock, defending his flock to handle them and heal them, to care care for them and tend to them. David knew this metaphor well. So when he thought of the Lord, he did not see him as being this far-removed king. He didn't see him just as being victorious or being someone who is an unmovable rock, although God is all of those things. What David saw him as is he said, He is my shepherd. Jesus said of himself, John 10 and 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known by my own. Think about that for a moment. (coughs) Being a shepherd is the lowest thing. But the Lord has chosen to be our shepherd. The great God of the universe stooped to care for you and me. Charles Spurgeon wrote it like this. He said, the sweetest word of the whole is that monosyllable, my. He does not say, the Lord is the shepherd of the world at large. 
or leadeth for the multitudes as his flock. But the Lord is my shepherd. If he be a shepherd to no one else, he is a shepherd to me. He cares for me, watches over me, and preserves me. But you only unwrap him as Jehovah Ra, the Lord my shepherd. When you feel like you've been abandoned in a dark wilderness place in life, David unwrapped him as his shepherd. There are two more compound names that people of God unwrapped. Jehovah Sidkenu, Lord God, our righteousness. Jehovah Shema, the Lord is present. And he is both righteousness and he is present. And every unwrapping was an unveiling of his identity. But when it comes... When it comes to unwrapping, you don't just stop at one level. Some people only learn God in certain dimensions. They unwrap him so far and they don't go any further. But there's always more in God. He can be your shepherd, but he can also be your king. He can be the one who provides, but he can also be the healer. He can be the one who makes a way where there seems to be no way, but he can also just be a time of, a person of time of comfort in a time of sorrow. That's our God. And you keep unwrapping and unwrapping and unwrapping. What does the wrapping do? The wrapping just builds anticipation of what is to come. And so you unwrap in your life God as Jehovah Jireh the provider, Jehovah Rapha, the healer, Jehovah Nisi, the banner of victory, Jehovah Shalom, your peace, Jehovah Ra, your shepherd, Jehovah Sidkenu, the righteousness, Jehovah Shema, a Lord who is present. Now, when you were a kid, did you ever do this? Did you ever go and kind of pick a spot and maybe just kind of scratch open the paper and just kind of peek in there, take a little look. And then, you know, you don't want to get caught. Uh-oh, I'm busted. You don't want to get caught, so you hide it. I like to think of Isaiah in the Old Testament being that kid. He was the kid that would walk by and inadvertently pick at the wrapping paper and scratch at it and try and get a little spot open. Maybe, maybe something on the contents of the contents of the box would reveal what's inside. Maybe, maybe there'd be something there that could show, but, you know, he didn't want to see everything, couldn't reveal everything. But he made one of the most powerful statements when he wrote in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. He said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Zechariah 14 and 9 pointed toward Jesus and said, The Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. So all of the ways that you unwrap God, it's the same God. He can be your mighty God, but he can also be your counselor. He can be wonderful. He can also be your everlasting father. He can be your prince of peace. He can be all of these things in one package. But you don't stop there. You keep unwrapping. Because as you unwrap, what you 
come to understand is you come to understand the power of that name, the name of Jesus. Because when you say the name of Jesus, what you're saying is you're saying every one of these things. And you eventually get down to the thing that is most important, and that is the package that the name represents. Acts 4.12 tells us there is salvation in no other name. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Matthew one twenty one said, She'll bring forth a son, you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. You know, Jesus was that revealing of that name. All through the Old Testament, they were unwrapping layers of God and understanding God in various ways. But it wasn't till the New Testament that they got down to the name and they said, the name is Jesus. And you want to know what Jesus means? It simply means this, Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. And you know what salvation is? Salvation is the thing that works in every situation regardless of what you find yourself in. That's what salvation is. Whenever you find your life in chaos, you need salvation. When you find your life in a place needing healing, there can be healing. It's called salvation. Whenever you need whatever it is you need Him to do, whenever you call on the name of Jesus, you're calling for salvation. That's what you're doing. It's the package that that matters. You get down to the name of Jesus. Jesus is the gift. And you start to open that gift and you wade past all of the things that are in there. And you've now unwrapped Jesus in so many ways. And you start to see a representation of who he is. I appreciate my daughter letting me use her nativity today. You start to see a full picture of who Jesus is. Angel, do your job. You get a full, complete picture. There he is. That's what I was looking for. Jesus. Had some camels there. Had some sheep. And everything that you go through in your life slowly unwraps to reveal salvation in your life. Titus 3, 4 through 7 tells us when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's not enough just to unwrap Jesus a little bit. Through your life, every situation you find yourself in, you unwrap another layer. Of God. 
and you understand that in that moment, maybe you've never needed healing before in your life. You've prayed the prayer. You've prayed for others. But now you find yourself in a place where you are the one who needs healing. You're not praying for somebody else. You're praying for your own self. And you're in the process of unwrapping and understanding God as being a healer in your life. Maybe you're like David and you find yourself in either one of those caves writing or maybe you're in the kingdom that your son has turned his back on you and is trying to attack you and take over. Chaos all around you. Just a dark place going through a dark season right now. Whenever you start to think about God, you don't think about God being victorious. You don't think about God being the rock. You don't think about God just being provider. All you can think of is, he's my shepherd. He's with me. I'm going to have to walk through this dark season. I'm going to have to walk through this valley. But the shepherd is with me. And he's my shepherd. Maybe you find yourself facing an enemy, a battle that you weren't prepared for. You don't know where it's going to go. You don't know the outcome. But God's speaking to your spirit and he's saying, you're not going to die. It's not going to kill you. And all of a sudden he becomes the Lord of peace in your life. Maybe you've experienced God in all those dimensions but you've not yet come to the full realization of exactly who he is, wrapping it, unwrapping it down to find that he is just your salvation. He is just your salvation. Wherever you're at in your relationship with God, you keep unwrapping until you get to Jesus. He's everything. He's everything. Why don't you take a moment and pray right where you're at? I don't know what you're facing today. may be facing a season of uncertainty may be facing a season where you need to overcome an enemy in your life you need victory over some things whatever it is Jesus is that if you'll just call on his name if you just call on his name he will step in And even if he doesn't overcome the enemy, he'll say, I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you healing. I'm going to give you a way. I'm going to give you counsel. I'm going to be your mighty God. I'll be the everlasting father. I will be wonderful to you. But God, Jesus Christ, steps in. And it doesn't just stop there, but Jesus Christ comes bearing a gift, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that gift is promised for everyone. Acts 2, 38, 39 says, if you repent, you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, what? The promise is to you and to your children, all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The promise of what? The promise of the Holy Spirit. The gift of comes bringing a gift for you. I feel like somebody today needs to keep unwrapping. Why don't we take a moment and pray, seek the Lord, unwrap something of him in your life. 
He can meet every need that you're facing right now. I feel the Spirit of the Lord. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, you see that person who needs peace. I pray, God, that peace would be spoken into their life right now. You're the Prince of Peace. You know the person who's been praying for healing, God. We've been praying for some people to be healed. God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would show yourself, unwrap yourself as a healer in their life right now, Jesus. Lord, I pray for that person that they are needing to have a burning bush experience and come face to face with the name of Jesus and realize that he is everything in the past, in the present, in the future, that you've been there with them present at all times working in their life. I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Right now, take a moment and pray right where you're at. Lord, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.